we are creatures that live double lives one life is defined by what we say to others how we express ourselves and what personal beliefs we stand for what beliefs we are willing to defend the other life is actually inside our heads our private thoughts our private thoughts define this other life we are hesitant to express these thoughts out loud these private thoughts and beliefs are expressed only in front of people we trust people we are intimate with our friends our family our partners we can freely express these private thoughts out loud only because we trust these people and only because of this one tiny little concept privacy hi i'm meghnad i'm a public policy analyst i write a regular column for news laundry where i analyze parliament and the happenings inside the great circular building i have been hooked in for this podcast to talk about a very important issue people of the internet let's talk about privacy this is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to let's talk about in this episode of let's talk about we are diving deep into the concept of privacy and what it means in india the debate around right to privacy is snowballing with one focal subject the aadhar card to dig deeper into this subject i spoke to journalists lawyers businessmen and researchers about why privacy is important or in some cases not so important as a teenager i longed to have my own room it felt unfair that i had to share my room with my cousins i needed space to talk to people on the phone text away into the night and read whatever i want and do other things that teenage boys often do but unfortunately i had zero privacy privacy is a concept which is not even talked about in our daily lives so to get a better understanding of it there was one question that i asked everyone i interviewed what is privacy here is nikhil pawa's take on it hi uh, my name is nikhil pawa Uh, I'm the founder of uh, medianama.com which reports on tech in India uh, and I'm also uh, a co-founder of the Internet Freedom Foundation which fights for uh, internet freedom and civil liberties related to the internet. Nikhil has been covering tech policy for the past decade and also has played a crucial role in the Save the Internet movement. I think privacy for me is intrinsically linked to the right of uh, self determination right in the sense that i should have the right to decide what information i share right um and uh, i should have the right to decide what someone does with the information that i share with them um and i should have the right to revoke that that information because my data is my data you know today we're in in a day and age where every single aspect of our lives can be tracked um and therefore for my liberty and for my freedom um, it's essential that uh, i have control over what people know about me let's pause here for a moment it is important to mention that today while we are recording is march 8th 2017 as we record a massive data cache has been released by wikileaks in an operation they are calling vault 7 This data leak reveals how the Central Intelligence Agency or CIA of the United States of America has been developing digital weapons to hack into data of private citizens across the world even whole governments 
This leak is said to be as important as the NSA Snowden revelations. There is a constant debate raging across the world as governments and organizations collect massive amounts of data about citizens for various reasons. Data is the new oil, they say. Every time you enable something like that, the, the data gets collected. Yeah. And businesses are being built around this data because it allows them to fine-tune their services at a scale and at a granularity that you can't even imagine. Vital questions are being asked. Should the government be aware of every aspect of the citizen's life? Here, I would like to quote someone really important and who will keep popping up in our podcast. Pay attention, because this person says some valuable words worth remembering. I quote, Every citizen in India has a right to privacy. His right to privacy is an inherent aspect of his liberty. Interference in the right to privacy is an interference in his personal liberty by a process which is not fair, just or reasonable. He further goes on to say, Every person has a right to be left alone. In a liberal society, there is no place for those who peep into the private affairs of individuals. No one has a right to know who another communicates with. Guess who this person is? I was just quoting our current finance minister, Mr. Arun Jaitley. He said these majestic words in 2013, before the BJP came to power, when reports were coming out about his personal calls being tapped. Uh, my name is Mishi Chaudhary. I am a technology lawyer and uh, I also lead a team at a non-profit called Software Freedom Law Center India, which works on uh, civil liberties and uh, defends the uh, rights of citizens online. I asked Mishi what she understands by privacy. Um, I often hear that, um, you know, it's a cultural thing. Indians don't care about privacy at all because... Um, we love talking, even on an air, air, airplane, the person you meet next to you within five minutes is asking if you married, if you have children, or what is your salary. And somehow, because we live in such close quarters, that means that, uh, hey, you don't have any right of privacy. That's not true. Um, just because we are more social, that does not mean that there are no aspects of our lives that we like to keep to ourselves. Exactly. Our cultural limits may be different from perhaps Americans or any other culture, but there are various parts of who we are, which we like to either keep to ourselves or different circles. Yeah. Some things which only my parents will know, some things which my only close friends would know. Yeah. And each human being has that. Would being aware of various aspects of citizens' lives make policymaking more effective and better for a government? Would this help make society safer by weeding out criminal elements or preempting crime? I asked Nikhil why privacy has become such an issue in the recent past. So I think what's happening is with technology is that um, a lot more of our data is being collected. Hmm. And the scale at which the data is being collected, whether it is by advertisers or it is by governments or it is by platforms like like, like Facebook and Google, has grown to alarming proportions. Mm. And a lot of this has been enabled through mobile devices. Right. Because mobile devices track a lot more information about, about people who are using them. To understand privacy in a more granular fashion, 
we need to delve deeper into our culture and way of life we turn to shaykat datta and we ask him the same question what is privacy see if you are looking at privacy it's within the indian context it's slightly difficult for people to understand because of the large sort of population that we have right you know the close proximity that we share with a lot of people because of lack of resources lack of space etc it becomes a slightly more difficult concept to understand and also if you were to look at it from a constitutional point of view most of the supreme court orders have always read it as a part of article 21 right. and therefore again there is a certain degree of lack of clarity in understanding what uh, privacy is but let me just give you an anecdotal example right for example if you were to look at the Charles of uh, Mumbai or Pune or Maharashtra, where, where this came up in a big way, families would be staying in one or one and half room tenements in a large building and sharing a lot of communal spaces. But that did not mean that they did not enjoy privacy. In fact, within that concept of what what we call hiding in plain sight. each uh, individual and the family unit would actually enjoy a lot of privacy which came innately to the consciousness right so even though we don't understand it or we are not able to grasp it that privacy exists the article 21 of the constitution of india provides no person shall be deprived of his life or personal liberty except according to procedure established by law life in article 21 of the constitution is not merely the physical act of breathing shoykat further explains how privacy is closely linked with productivity there is a need for privacy because privacy also means autonomy and 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 higher productivity so let me put it to you within a corporate framework i mean any lesson of leadership that you look at today everybody says that the less you micromanage the employee the more productive she or he will be in in whatever they are doing that's basically saying that you give that person a sense of autonomy but that autonomy will only come when there is a certain degree of privacy given to that mm. if you were to look at it as a nation state or within a particular community or society unless and until you are ready to give that privacy from which people will derive a certain degree of autonomy you will never get higher productivity so that makes privacy very important so to recap quickly privacy is the barrier that protects you from people who want to do things to you it's like a bubble around you You can see through the bubble into the outside world, but the outside world can't see you. Much like a tinted glass on a celebrity car, you cannot see Salman Khan who is sitting inside the car, but Salman Khan can see you. You let the people you trust into that bubble and keep the ones you don't outside. The only way to get inside that bubble is by getting your explicit permission. As a citizen of this modern world, you have to be aware of this bubble. and be wary about who is trying to pop it we moved on to seeking an answer to one very vital question is the concept of privacy perceived differently in india than more developed western countries tathagat satpati is a member of parliament from dhenkanal orissa he has been vocal about privacy issues especially concerning aadhar he described his understanding of privacy in an interview to abhinandan sekri of news laundry we as a society and i will not blame only parliamentarians for that but we as a society are not very convinced about 
a few things, uh, many things, but a few things that matter to me. One is privacy. Oh, and full disclosure, Mr. Satpati also happens to be my boss. We actually do not have a good, clear concept of privacy. There's no privacy law also, right? There is no privacy law. But apart from law also, these are social things. Everything cannot be governed by law. Hmm. So the concept of privacy does not exist because when a child is born to a set of parents, the child is sleeping with the mother and the father till sometimes the mid to, uh, uh, mid-teens. Hmm. So the parents have no privacy. Right. And uh, since our economic condition is such, we prefer to live with our parents many a times, apart from big cities where uh, constraint of space forces us to live together. There's also rural areas where you will see aging parents living with their daughters, living with their sons, and they all live together. They live in the same room, they eat out of the same kitchen. So the concept of privacy is very low in India. That is what my personal feeling is. Mishi explains the various aspects of our right to privacy. Both of these things lead to autonomy. Hmm. Autonomy means self-determination. That I should be able to take decisions on my own without having my secrecy right or my anonymity right violated. Right. Because if somebody, if an authority can violate any of my rights, whether it's about being able to communicate freely with somebody with the assurance that the message is secret or the assurance that my identity is kept secret, Hmm. I don't have the freedom of thought or exercise of that thought. Hmm. I cannot be autonomous. I cannot self-determine. Right. And in a democratic society, that's the only right I have. Right. As human beings, if we are, if we cannot take decisions on our own hmm. without the fear of being interfered from, then we don't have any kind of right. Mishi also spoke about how privacy is related to secrecy and anonymity. Secrecy. If I want to talk to Meghnath hmm. and I don't want people to know what I'm saying to him, hmm. I should have the right. Hmm. The second part, the second part here is anonymity, hmm. which which people get very scared of. Hmm. But anonymity means that the, sometimes the message, if it's not secret, that's totally fine. Hmm. Like I want to say something, but I would like that to be out in the open. But I don't want to be forced to say who I am or to whom am I saying this message, but the content is open. When you are being watched, you behave differently. Imagine a prison yard. The prisoners hang around in open space, mingle and sometimes get into rather major fights. Now that becomes a problem for the warden. The warden decides that he needs to build a tower that overlooks the yard. This tower we are speaking of is a bit unique. While the person standing inside the tower can see outside, the prisoners cannot look inside the tower, from the outside. The warden comes to the prisoners and tells them, You see that tower up there? We're watching you. So you better behave. Be civilized. Otherwise, you will be punished. The prisoners, since they are being watched now, change their behavior and are more civil to each other. More or less. Now, even if that tower is empty, there is nobody watching those prisoners. These prisoners will assume that someone is up there and they better behave. They don't have privacy, which makes them behave in a certain way. 
in a more civilized way let's hear what apar has to say about this yeah hi my name is apar i am a lawyer i work on issues of public law which include uh, challenges on the aadhar act apar spoke about this change in behavior due to the lack of privacy so for instance if there is a cctv put inside your bedroom right, right, right. and uh, it captures a 24 hour live feed which is then transmitted uh, you obviously your behavior will change in your bedroom right? right and that loss of autonomy that inability of you to act in the way you would naturally act is what is something which is safeguarded by privacy your ability to be yourself right. in private spaces so what would a lack of privacy entail Uh, a loss of privacy would in turn just make us naked yeah. in terms of our conduct yeah. and in terms of our thought process uh, because that's how technology has now molded yes um it can by you know uh, deriving several data points which is called metadata hmm. get a fairly good sense of a person's intention by itself hmm. so you don't need to say a lot of things hmm. and technology is able to decipher what's your intent quite quickly Now that we have a fair idea of what the right to privacy is, let us move on to the arguments against it. One often used argument is if I have nothing to hide, why would I need privacy? Let's hear what Nikhil has to say about this. I think what that 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 removes is uh, what that ignores is this idea of trust. We might not be doing anything wrong, but we also don't broadcast it in full public view. Yes. Um a conversation that is between a couple um is not necessarily uh, to be made public for everyone to see right uh, some uh, you know someone who's telling a relative some information about themselves that makes them vulnerable is nobody else's business it's between the two people hmm. so uh, if we don't have privacy uh, then uh, we don't have trust yes and therefore that breaks down uh, social contract in society now let's do an experiment this experiment was originally suggested by glen greenwald who initially broke the edward snowden files if you think you have nothing to hide please note down my email address that is meghnad.saha@gmail.com like the scientist now write an email to me with all of your usernames for facebook twitter gmail what you may and also the passwords if i get zero emails i would conclude that you dear listener has something to hide we are today dependent on technology you go to a cafe and you see people bent down staring at their phones and having a conversation with the world at large we use apps that help us connect share play games or just goof around a little when we are bored back in june 2016 a photograph of facebook ceo mark zuckerberg went viral in that photo webcam on zuckerberg's laptop was covered with a tape even the microphone jack was covered with a tape why paranoid much no not really because i think he realizes how some apps can breach your privacy by accessing your webcam or microphone Whenever you install an app it asks you for permissions to access your contacts your camera gallery and much more and most of us without even giving a second thought allow that app to do so what if an app designed by a private company marketed as an official app of a political leader asks you for this access it asks you for information like your voter id and aadhar number 
Wait a minute. I will let Kim explain further. I am Kim Arora. I am a journalist and I write for the Times of India. I cover technology and social media. When that uh, poll on the Narendra Modi app happened um, uh, on on demonetization, right, a lot right. of people tried downloading the app and to vote on it, but right. they uh, changed their minds because they figured that it was asking for a lot of app permissions. During demonetization, Prime Minister Narendra Modi shared a link asking people to give their opinion on the Narendra Modi app. It was later found out by some enterprising journalists like Kim Arora that the app is registered on a private domain with the address of the BJP headquarters. Nowhere was there a disclosure that the move has been initiated by Modi as a private citizen and not in the capacity of the Prime Minister of India. To give her opinion on the poll, the user had to sign up with her details like name, address, phone number, date of birth, profession and even their voter ID card. It was a data collection galore. Many apps are invasive and ask for access to your private data. It's always advisable to be careful about what access one provides. As Shoykat puts it, So, I would suggest that every time somebody where to access an app or use an app, study what kind of permissions they're seeking, hmm. also what kind of control your device gives you, hmm. and then use a combination of both to then figure out whether you need the app and whether you can install it. All right. In the case that neither of them are available, I would suggest not to use it. Kim assures us that all is not lost though. The only thing is you need to be a bit more careful. At the time, I remember seeing uh, a lot of people get very, very upset about, you know, uh, very apprehensive about downloading it because they weren't sure how this might be used. Right. Sometimes, uh, you know, something like an access to my, you might get really apprehensive. You might think that they're trying to snoop on you. Right. But often an app might need access to your mic just so that you can maybe record a voice note and upload. Right. They need to be a lot more, I mean, apps need to be a lot more transparent about how they're giving the permissions that they're asking for. Right. It's becoming increasingly clear that there is an attempt being made to take away the citizens' right to privacy by governments, organizations, or just by some powerful individuals. Which brings us to the elephant in the room, Aadhaar. As I pointed out earlier, the debate around the right to privacy is now closely linked with the implementation of the Aadhaar card. Some might say that it is even being overshadowed by it. Let's start with the basics. What is an Aadhaar card and what the heck is going on? We will hear about it from the father of Aadhaar himself, Mr. Nandan Nilekani. Today we are at 970 million Aadhaars. It will be a billion Aadhaars by next 2-3 months. It will make it one of the... Like, it's really huge. These are excerpts taken from an interview Nilekani gave to journalist Shekhar Gupta. They have saved $2 billion just in LPG alone. Right. It's being used all across in the fact, place. That is the most successful scheme of this government because, you know, he has abolished his subsidy, mm. but he's made it look like a wonderful favour yeah. to the people of India. That's the way to Yeah, I think it's well packaged. Reform. They give it up and all that. Yes. So, so I think it's done well. Beautifully packaged. Yeah. So I think... Uh, the entire spending on Aadhaar was about a uh, billion dollars. And one program alone, in one year, saved two billion dollars. Right. So it's a very high ROI. And what was unique was that the original budget we thought would be about two billion. So the budget, money spent was about a billion. And 600 million was to be done in five years, happened in four and a half years. So a project was done below budget and under, below budget and ahead of time. 
there are a number of issues surrounding Aadhaar that we need to talk about. Let's begin with what our Attorney General of India said in the Supreme Court. Speaking for the Centre, Attorney General Mukul Rothki made the claim that privacy was not a fundamental right in India. He went on to insist that a larger constitutional bench be set up to examine how to treat privacy and question the validity of the interim judgments by smaller benches. Rothki is right on the law. There is no blanket right to privacy in India. This was said when the Supreme Court was hearing a PIL which asked if the Aadhaar violates the right to privacy or not. Let's hear what Apar has to say about this. They challenged the scheme on various grounds. One of them includes that argument that it violates the fundamental right to privacy. Right. Now the fundamental right to privacy was stated by the Supreme Court of India and interpreted as a constituent of Article 21, which is the right to life and personal liberty. There is, There has been an argument which has been made in this Aadhaar patch of cases by the government that the fundamental right to privacy does not clearly emerge from the precedent of the Supreme Court of India. Hmm. And due to this, a constitutional bench needs to examine this issue. Right. Right now, this issue is before court. It will determine it and will look at it at a later sta- stage and a later instant. In September 2013, the Supreme Court declared that instructed the government that they cannot make Aadhaar mandatory for any services or schemes. My personal view uh, is that the mandatory imposition of Aadhaar is in any instance, even under the new Act, a violation of the earlier Supreme Court orders. But then... Uh, again, yeah. again, to be clear, the Supreme Court has not made a categorical affirmative statement to this effect. The matter becomes contentious because... If there's no law, if there's nothing which protects your privacy, allows you to own that data, right. to define how it's used, to regulate uh, and to give you a sense of, you know, complete control over that, right. then... Uh, essentially, a lot of decisions can also be taken about you without you being in control. Following the Supreme Court order and after the BJP was elected, the parliament got into action. The BJP government brought in a law titled Aadhaar Targeted Delivery of Financial and Other Subsidies, Benefits and Services Act 2016. While introducing this bill in Lok Sabha, the Finance Minister Arun Jaitley said, and I quote, This bill deals with one primary focus, and that is, whoever gets benefit from the Consolidated Fund of India, either state government or the centre and other institutions, the person is entitled to have an Aadhaar card. Aadhaar became a subsidy and service delivery mechanism. This bill was passed as a money bill in Lok Sabha, so the Rajya Sabha had no say in it. There is presently another case pending in the Supreme Court challenging the very nature of this bill and how it was passed in Parliament. After this bill was passed, the government started making Aadhaar card mandatory for a slew of government schemes and services. Here is Nikhil Pahwa's take on it. Just asking for consent Hmm. Um, is insufficient as far as I'm concerned. Because Hmm. what's happening is that Aadhaar is no longer an enabler. Hmm. It is a depriver. Hmm. So you are deprived of services Hmm. unless you consent to give your data. Most recently, the Aadhaar card was made compulsory for people who were affected by the Bhopal gas tragedy and are demanding compensation. 
it was even made mandatory for availing the midday meal scheme since the bill was passed aadhar has been made mandatory for more than 45 government schemes even crop insurance i spoke to the ceo of an organization called easygov.in to understand how aadhar is making dealing with the government easier i'm amit shukla i'm founder of easygov yes. and before that i did uh, consulting with various government institution in india and uh, and and a couple of nations abroad australia middle east japan and us easygov.in is a web portal that makes life easier for a person who wants to avail government services by effectively using aadhar right now we are primarily present in the ncr region right. but our uh, vision is to become a de facto standard for all government citizen service requirement i asked amit to explain how easygov works people will enter uh, into a website using his aadhar number yes. and with his obviously with his authentication and approval right. he fetches information like his basic demographics name date of birth uh, address uh from from aadhar right. and 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 we identifies uh, initial entitlement he told me that this service can also be used to find out future entitlements a citizen can avail so after that his data is coming to me hmm. okay hmm. now uh, now so in in easygov because he wants me to help him to identify what is his entitlement right or he wants easygov to simplify application process for him right for that purpose we are using his data right and we are taking his consent right and in our uh, mechanism in easygov we are building this that your data will be only used for this service only okay okay or to identify your future entitlements so when easygov taps into the aadhar database and pulls out information about a person they take the user's consent right so you need a combination of two things yeah first thing is aadhar number right the second thing is either the otp or one of your biometric right right fair so either your iris or 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 a thumb impression right 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 so so even someone is uh, let's say have a, your aadhar number hmm. and he start filling that information hmm. aadhar number then our portal will ask what otp hmm hmm okay so he has to enter the otp which will come on Once his he, mobile phone that will come on his mobile phone hmm right so that is not a so we are not breaching a privacy right and it's right. a secured method of 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 doing it Fair. So, so even if i if i may break it down uh, this is this is where consent comes in basically the user himself is giving consent that yes uh, i am giving an otp and a permission will, to will, use will, that yeah yeah so so yeah i understand the consent and everything right yeah, yeah. but from a layman language right yes. how do you do a bank transaction right same way right you put a password and then you get a otp perfect yes Yeah. So here also we are getting a OTP, right? right so right. if 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 this is a, a a privacy concern or a security concern, then then your bank transactions also have a privacy concern and the security concern. When I asked him if it's possible for EasyGov to store the data, this was his response. Yeah. So so there are two methods, right? Hmm. So so what you are saying, right? So once the date when I fire a query. Hmm. from here into my system using his aadhar and biometric right that goes through a tunnel that is encrypted at the point of capture okay so i do not i do not know and i cannot store that data that is illegal as per the as per the aadhar ah, so is. i cannot have a i cannot have your local copy of your biometric in my system um if i may say so if you just take a screenshot <laughs> 
so 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 boss if 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 you if you're intended to do a cheating right yeah. you can do cheating right and yeah. and then then only provision is that that you have a laws yeah. right that prohibits uh, doing those things you know what amit is right The Aadhaar Act passed by Lok Sabha does state that an individual or company misusing data might have to face 3 years imprisonment and 10000 rupees in fine. In case of companies, that fine can be as much as 1 lakh rupees. The law is very clear that biometric data cannot be revealed for any purpose to any authority other than in case of national security. National security. Hmm. Let's get back to the original purpose of the Aadhaar as stated by Mr Jaitley subsidy delivery as Amit stated earlier companies like EasyGov will streamline these services and make delivery of these schemes easier but if reports are to be believed the situation in rural India is not that rosy at the moment I spoke to Ritika Khera to understand how this subsidy delivery mechanism is working out in real life in villages where people are most dependent on welfare I'm trained as a development economist, and I teach economics at uh, IIT Delhi right. in the Department of Humanities and Social Sciences. Ritika has worked for years to study how welfare schemes are being distributed. The main objective of Aadhaar is to curb corruption. People usually indulge in corruption while distributing things like ration. Has Aadhaar been able to stop that? The main form of corruption in a lot of these programs is. quantity fraud so that when i go to buy my ration instead of getting 25 kilos i may get 20 or 22 kilos mm-hmm. uh, and that that kind of quantity fraud you can't get uh, can't resolve with biometric authentication at the ration shop i can still go to the shop be made to put my fingerprint there for 25 kilos and after i've done that the dealer will still give me only 22 or 20 or whatever it is the government is estimated to have saved over rupees 27000 crore by cash transfers for payments to beneficiaries under various welfare schemes in the last 2 years over 1.6 crore bogus ration cards have been deleted resulting in savings of about 10000 crore in case of mahatma gandhi national rural employment guarantee scheme Manrega a saving of 3000 crore roughly 10% has been estimated in 2015-16 I asked Ritika what these savings mean So for instance anything that reduces the expenditure on a scheme hmm. is a saving from the point of view of the government hmm. but it is always very slyly packaged as something that you know that the number of beneficiaries hasn't gone down hmm. but because there is less corruption the there is a saving right yeah so saving has two meanings right one is that you implement efficiently and the other is you reduce the number of beneficiaries so you reduce the expense on that scheme and therefore you call but the reduction in coverage right is then packaged as saving yeah that that makes a lot of sense i mean it makes and sense that like that happened that's happened across the board it's happened in the lpg program also huh? it's happening in the pds it's happening with pensions in pensions you know that the yeah. people who were actually old women and men who were alive were declared dead And oh. then the government, uh, state government, said we have saved so much money in the pension scheme. I also spoke to Anumeha Yadav, who has reported on Aadhaar implementation extensively for Scroll. dot in. I am a reporter with Scroll. I report on labor and social policy. She mentioned that there is no data to begin with. We have no data on how many people lack any one ID even, and the Aadhaar RTIs also show. 
I mean, UIDI also shows that 99.9% people got Aadhaar by showing one proof of ID, one proof of address. Anumeha explained that Aadhaar was initially used to distribute ration on a pilot basis. One of the first schemes that Aadhaar biometric authentication started being implemented in is the ration system or the public distribution system. So that was one of the first schemes uh, I saw it being implemented in. She told us stories of how Aadhaar is being implemented in different places she visited. So on the ground, what I've seen is that uh, uh, some state governments seem to be in a hurry to show evidence that they have started implementing Aadhaar. Hmm. Rajasthan, for instance, which was the second state to start biometric authentication in the public distribution system at all Russian stops, um, they started doing this before the act was passed. They started doing it before the seeding process was uh, had been completed for all families. In Ajmer? So, for example, I'd gone to Ajmer district, um, one panchayat, Dalatpura, it's near the Aravlis. Because it's close to the Aravli hill range, the signal there was poor. Hmm. And uh, just with the day I went, two beneficiaries had got verified in two hours. Okay. Uh, one of the men, Mithya Gisya, he said it was a sixth trip. Oh. to the ration shop that month to try and get authenticated right. because he was being rejected uh, each time. Hanja Devi was a 68-year-old 60, woman uh, who's, who was making a third trip to the ration shop that month uh, to try and get authenticated. She was an Antyodhya beneficiary, which means she was in the poorest of the poor category. Right. And it was only she and her husband, they were both getting 35 kilo grains till till that month. And But since this authentication process started, she was constantly getting rejected. It was not even clear at the Russian shop level uh, whether it was a seeding error, whether it was a data entry error, whether it was some issue with her print. And so when when it was not even clear, then where, where should they go to? And for old people who depend on pension? So I've done some reporting on pension provision in Rajasthan where I found that uh, so, um, you know, Hukum Singh and Kamla Devi were uh, one couple. They were, they were very elderly. They were both over... Uh, they were both in their 80s. Uh, their pension had been linked to Aadhaar. They did not have an Aadhaar card. Uh, when uh, when this linking happened, the system started recognizing them as some kind of an error. Their pension was stopped for six, seven months. Uh, this old couple were telling me that they were having to travel. They were having to book a jeep for 200 rupees. Then that is when they were trying to get enrolled, get things corrected. In fact, uh, after I interviewed them, uh, about two, three weeks later, Kamla Devi passed away. Let's pause and think about that for a moment. For me, shit starts to get real when people actually die as a result of a government policy. Ritika corroborated what Anumeha told us about pensioners. No, so the problem, I think the worst hit actually are old age pensioners who get between 200 rupees to 1000 rupees per month as social security pensions. And uh, in different states, there used to be different ways of paying these pensions. Ritika mentioned how the exclusion rate in Rajasthan is still quite high. So in Rajasthan, there is data from May 2016 onwards on how of the total ration, entitled ration card holders, how many have successfully transacted through the ABBA system, the right. Aadhaar-based biometric system. Right. Uh, and when it started, the first month, of course, the data was very poor. It was less than 50% or around 50%. But since then, they've managed to increase it from 50 to about 80%. It's this sort is, of, this uh, is the number of enrollment, basically, just the basic enrollment. No, 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 not enrollment. This is successfully buying through the POS machine, which is Aadhaar-enabled. So these are people who already have an Aadhaar, but they are using it to authenticate themselves and get, get uh, the ration, right? Correct, correct, yes. 
And so 20% of people until April 2016 who were merely getting their monthly ration hmm. have been kicked out of the system. Kicked out? Just because of, yeah, because they're just not able to buy anymore. The system doesn't work for them. So I asked her, what was the situation before Aadhaar came into the picture? For instance, in Odisha, Hmm. These old people, every uh, 15th of the month, they would go to their Gram Panchayat office and hmm. the, uh, gram, the Gram Panchayat uh, secretary hmm. would distribute cash okay. in front of the entire community and make them sign in a register. Right. In other states, it was post office, the postmaster who took the money order to them. In yet other states, it was banks. Hmm. So there were different payment mechanisms across the country depending on that state's um, ability to handle uh, these payments. Right. Now, with the coming of these Aadhaar-based uh, payment systems, hmm. what is happening is that all of them are being pushed into one single me- uh, one single method, which is Aadhaar-based biometric authentication. Ritika ended her interview with some emotive, harsh words. Yeah, of course, Aadhaar made a huge difference in subsidy distribution hmm. in the implementation of these programs. It's dealt a devastating blow to them. So negative impl- negative effects is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But first in everywhere that it is spreading to like a cancer, hmm. every organ of the social policy body that it goes to, it eats up like a cancer. First it was NREGA. Then it's the PDS, then it's pensions, and now it, now they want to try it in the mid-annual program. program. Unfortunately, after contacting a whole host of people to defend this subsidy delivery mechanism, none of them were willing to come on record for us. In fact, apart from Amit Shukla, who was brave enough to talk to us, we could not get anyone to defend Aadhaar officially. I guess it's time to have a proper debate on the issue and see if these leakages can be plugged somehow. A big question needs to be asked. Can Aadhaar actually become a tool for proper subsidy distribution? Can Aadhaar actually plug leakages? Can Aadhaar become a tool for identifying people and making sure they get access to government? Or is it just a front for collecting citizen data? Here's Nikhil again. Now think about these things from a democracy perspective. Hmm. Tomorrow, let's say, if the BJP is not in power and there's someone else in power, hmm. the opposition and people in the opposition will be far more vulnerable to surveillance hmm. because of the kind of spread that surveillance has. Right. And that's only increasing. Right. The difference between between a government is that the government has statutory power. They can put people in jail. Hmm. They can, uh, you know, uh, they can reveal information that... Uh, for a di- for a different purpose other than just commercial games. Right. Google and Facebook. I mean, all they want is your money, hmm. or they want your data so they can sell it to advertisers, and and the advertisers want your money. Hmm. Very different from a state which has has uh, has actually uh, for whom power is a part of the equation uh, in this country. Then we need privacy, right? Because without privacy, there you have no no choice of liberty. There is one more argument used by Aadhaar advocates which is essential to mention here. If we are already giving our data to companies like Google and Facebook, why won't we give it to our own government? I asked Nikhil to answer this question. They don't have access to every single aspect of your life, for example. They don't have access to your bank account and its details. Hmm. They don't necessarily have access to 
what you're buying, what you're shopping. Right. Yes, they do have uh, access to what you're searching, which is why we need laws to ensure that that data is is essentially anonymized, or mm. you should have the right to wipe out that data. Even Mishi had an interesting take on this. FOIA equivalent Right to Information Act. The government doesn't tell us everything, right? Mm. Although, as the social contract in a democratic country is that the government should tell us everything. The government should be Which transparent. They are working for us. Yeah. And it should be transparent. Yeah. But there's a catch-all section 8 in RTI yeah. because of which I can never find anything. I <laughs> do not know what the content monitoring system does. I do not know what NatGrid does. And uh, if, you know, sometimes I play a game with my team when we cannot find a word to describe something, we just say national security. Finally, Let's talk about the flurry of reports about how Aadhaar system is vulnerable. Recently, six Reliance Geo employees were caught stealing fingerprints and data of customers. They were using it to issue multiple SIM cards in Indore. In another case, Scotch Group Chairman Samir Kocher alleged that Aadhaar can be hacked as it has very poor security. In his article, he wrote, Apparently, when you use an Aadhaar-enabled front-end application, your biometric is scanned and stored on that device along with your Aadhaar number. After his article was published, the Delhi Police Crime Branch filed an FIR against him for spreading unfounded rumours about the system. They called his revelation misleading. I spoke to Srinivas Kodri, an engineer from Hyderabad who exposed something pretty big. Hi, I'm Srinivas Kodali. I'm an interdisciplinary researcher. I work on data cities and internet. Even though the R Act says that you cannot store this information, uh, people are storing this information in a separate databases, which I call parallel databases. All right. Now, so one of these parallel databases was publishing information about several children. Right. And uh, their photos, their signatures, their father's name, parents, uh, their caste information, and so on, along with their other numbers. So these were uh, these were minor children whose uh, information was on a website, like with their photographs and everything else. Yes, uh, the website was basically uh, uh, publishing PDFs of this set of uh, ch- uh, children, and this was in the public. Like there's no access management, no uh, login ID, so that you can access it. It's like just out in the open. So I saw this, it was being shared in WhatsApp groups by a bunch of children. So uh, I was reported about this. So I kind of informed the local authorities and got the website down initially. And the next day I filed an instant report that this happened with UIDAI as well as National Critical Information Infrastructure Protection Center. Which, which is one of the agencies where they have a form that you can report such instance. Uh, there are no procedures in India where you can actually report a vulnerability to any agency. For example, within UIDI, we do not know how do we report a vulnerability to UIDI, except for calling a toll-free number or sending an email. Privacy is increasingly becoming an important issue that must be debated at the right forums. With the Aadhaar card making headway into all of our lives, with the advent of technology and increased use of smartphones, 
with the increased capability of governments to track and profile all its citizens it's time to think hard about what our rights are i hope this podcast helped you gain a perspective on the issues surrounding privacy in india and around the world with those words before signing off let me say this when corporations pay corporations are served when the public pays public is served support independent media subscribe to news laundry pay to keep news free all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent to catch all our podcasts on news pop culture current affairs and sport visit newslaundry.com follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel